0: Welcome to 99 Problems But A Boss Ain't One, a
1: podcast helping you solve your freelance problems and dilemmas. I'm Katie Carlisle, one of your hosts, and I've been freelance since 2013. I've got my own business, The Wheel Exists, helping people to create lovely websites on the Squarespace website building tool, and I also run a pop-up co-working community called Freelance Folk. And I'm your
0: co-host Michelle Pratt of Dive Deeper Development. I'm a freelance business trainer and personal development coach and I help people achieve their goals through developing their confidence and improving their skills.
1: So on our last episode we talked about getting clients but once you have them how do you know what to charge? So Michelle why is this a problem for freelancers?
0: I think when you go freelance, it it takes on a whole new complexion, isn't it? When you work for a large business, you probably don't have a problem stating the fees of that business. But when you go freelance, you are your business. I think it goes very deep into your identity. So you're no longer charging on behalf of a company, you're charging for your time or your services or your intellectual property. And that really gets quite personal quite quickly. So I think there's a lot of fear in there for people. Um, I think they're quite scared that maybe they'll be seen as being Um, maybe a bit cheeky, maybe charging a bit too much. and, and you really are literally putting a, a monetary value on yourself, on yourself. which is yeah. such a weird thing <laughs> and, and really unusual for people, actually. So some people, to be fair, take to it quite naturally. They don't have a problem. But depending on your mindset about money or the values you had about money growing up, uh, if you think about things, that people, you know, like this idea of being cheeky or being, being a bit rude or whatever, you know. It well, it's a very British
1: problem as well, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> some
0: cultures talk about money much more than others uh, as well. And I think most people are in employment. Employment, and therefore they have a different view I think it takes a whole new mindset when you're what it costs to provide a business when you're a small business owner, and most people just don't think about the cost of the business they work in. So there's a lot of fear that you'll be rejected, fear that you'll be seen as charging too much. And that really does go into who we are. So I think there's a lot of that. So we'll talk about fear in more depth in a future episode, because I think it goes right across so many of the things that we're going to talk about. But I think that's one that definitely holds people back.
1: And I think as well, um, I know for me, when I first started out, you know, it's like you say, there's that, that fear, but it's, it's a fear which is kind of partly based on getting it wrong. So, you know, you don't want to say the wrong price, if you, especially if you're if you're in competition with other people, you don't know what other people charge. And so you don't want to necessarily put the wrong price, you don't want to pitch it too high or too low or anything. And I think actually one of the things I'm quite interested in, in, in doing is, is creating more of a culture of transparency around freelancers actually saying what they charge and, and kind of being able to, to know what other people in your industry are charging. Because I think that that will actually help to make it fairer for everybody and make everyone be able to charge a higher amount if we knew that other people were charging a bit more. Yeah. we'd feel more confident doing it and that would mean that everybody would be able to kind of charge what they actually should be charging because I think we probably have a tendency to undercharge, especially as women. Um, yeah, it happens to both men and women but yeah. we see this in
0: women quite a lot because the gender imbalance that happens in the workplace does, uh, especially when people leave the workplace for redundancy or because they, they choose, a, may choose that as a lifestyle change, those ingrained biases come over into the freelance world as well and also your your, your salary is a frame of reference sometimes for what yeah. you're going to charge so if you're on a lower salary you'll start at a lower rate.
1: And I think like you said about you know people sometimes feel a bit cheeky as well I think that is something I've definitely seen amongst women of like oh you know is, is it too cheeky if I charge this much that's a, that's a phrase I've heard people say quite a lot and of course you know we'll be looking at this but you shouldn't compare yourself to others in terms of the charge. That, that shouldn't be your only way of working out your pricing based on other people. But it is really daunting to kind of have, because you could charge anything. So where do you start? You know, what? how do you choose? So I think that is a challenge. And I think the other thing as well, of course, is that there's a whole debate around whether it's ever okay to work for free
0: as a freelancer yeah I think there's a lot of people out there um, trying to take advantage and I think there's so many people saying to freelancers I'll oh, do this for free or give you great exposure and that's a bit of a, a self-perpetuating problem because if people are willing to do it then people expect things for free and therefore charging what you want to charge gets harder yeah so th- you have to navigate that as well and I think that makes it very difficult
1: and I think that's probably a whole other episode that we're going to talk about is actually the, the whole discussion around doing free work and how you know if you want to do it how to do it and you know, maybe some examples of how it's been done well and how it's not been done well in the past. Um, So I think that's definitely something we're going to be looking into in more detail in future episodes. Yeah, absolutely. So what holds us back then when we're thinking about what to change, Michelle? Like you work a lot with people around changing their mindsets. So how does this kind of mindset change apply to questions about pricing? I think the first thing to do is
0: start by having a look at the question of, of value. How do you place a value on something? And so where I'd start is by thinking about it from two points of view value that you determine from something is is, comes from two parties. One is from you, the value you place on your services or products yourself, and the other one comes from your customer. And in this case, I would say your ideal customer, they would place a value on your services, too. So in order to do this right, we've got to be able to understand our value first of all. So I know you've come across this quite a lot. Um, people um, saying, well, what's the market rate? What are other people charging? Or you were talking about people asking, expecting
1: the customer to be forthcoming with the budget, weren't you? Yeah, exactly. So I think that is one thing to be mindful of. So when you're trying to decide what to charge, do think about it from the perspective of your clients as well, because a lot of the time, people might say okay rather than me having to decide what to charge I'm just going to ask what the client's budget is and then work something out from that but then you get into possibly a bit of a vicious circle because the client isn't an expert you're the expert the client isn't and they don't really know how much they should be spending so they're kind of relying on you and possibly other people that they're getting quotes from to almost tell them okay this is how much it costs to get this much value and I think that it can be really helpful to work with clients rather than just expect clients to tell you what their budget is and then you decide how much of that you spend on what to actually kind of guide clients to say okay if you spent this much here's what you could get if you spent this much extra this is the extra value that you could get and actually you know showing them why it's worth investing more and also explaining what the difference is between different pricing structures so for me for example I'm a freelancer, I work primarily from home. I work on my own. I don't have anybody that you know I subcontract to or I don't have any employees. Um, you know, my my overheads are relatively low. And that does factor into my costs. So compared to say a web design agency, even with the same level of knowledge and expertise and everything, somebody working there would have to charge more than me because they'd have the staff costs and the premises costs and all the overheads and everything else. So I think you you do need to think about it. Of course, there's a trade-off, because if you're going with an agency, you kind of get the full service and you've got that kind of continuity if somebody isn't, you know, someone's away on holiday or something, but but I think I feel it's my duty to explain to my clients why there is such a discrepancy. Because for a website, you can get a quote for kind of a couple of hundred pounds and you can get a quote for 20,000 pounds. And why is it so different? And I think clients don't always understand why. So I think it's part of our duty as freelancers to help them to understand why there's a difference and, and then explain why we sit at the point of the scale that we are at, yeah. if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think we can't expect the customer to steer at how much the job is worth um, like you say, it's our duty to explain that to the customer. And I, that's why I would say when you're talking about the value that we place on things and the values that customers place on things, we have to know ourselves what the value of it is. So what I'd start to do with someone about mindset is just ask them, well, first of all, what value do you place on your products and services? What value do you place on your time? And you've got to start from there. And that can be quite hard. And people will say, well, look, I don't know what I would charge. But if I asked you to work for a day and offer to pay you a tenner, you'd probably turn your nose up at it. So I'm guessing you have some sense of what is unacceptable. <laughs> and if I asked you to go to great lengths, but I offered you £1,000, you may well bite my hand off. So you have a threshold, a higher and lower threshold. Um, and it's just about really being honest and reflecting on what that is. You need to. is. We've got some practical considerations that you need to take into account, but uh, we'll cover those off as well. But first of all, I would always start with what value are you placing on your time? to begin with, think about your actual costs, think about your skills and expertise as well. So you have probably trained for many, many years, you've probably done qualifications. And even if what you're doing is making a business out of a hobby or passion, you've spent years most likely engrossed in that hobby. So people are paying for that. So you've got to be able to put at least have a stab at a value on your products and services. And uh, you were telling me a story about that to do with Picasso,
1: I think, wasn't it? Oh yeah, I'm not sure I can remember it completely right but um, I think there was a story where like um, I think Picasso had like a napkin or something and, and drew something on a napkin and, and someone said oh, you know, oh okay like how much did that would that cost? And he said, oh, some ridiculously high figure and they said, oh, you, it took you five minutes to do this drawing on a napkin, how could you possibly charge this much? And he said, oh, well actually the charge is like it didn't take me five minutes it took me 50 years or whatever because it's not just the time that you're spending on the project it's the it's all the time that you've you've put into investing into yourself and your experience because somebody else came along they could do something it wouldn't be anywhere near as good if they just spent five minutes on it without any kind of background so it's about reflecting what you've put into already and what you will put into it at that point. Yeah. And, and so it's more than just a time. So, you know, yes, you can have an hourly rate, of course, but that rate should reflect, A, your costs and a practical side of it, but also what you've put into your business. And that's the and value you bring. Yeah, yeah and what sets you apart. So actually it might be that you could do exactly the same piece of work as somebody else, but you have really useful connections that could then add value to your clients. And so they would then potentially, I would imagine, be willing to pay more for the one that could help them go beyond the basic piece of work. So it might not even be a tangible thing that's to do with the work itself. It might be, you know, that you're you're pleasant to work with. You know, there are things that people are willing to pay more for that are not necessarily just the work itself and the time itself. Absolutely. So you've got to you've got to put a value on yourself one of the so a
0: tricky question I ask uh, people and I've done it in a training session with a room for the people and there was an audible gasp and um, the first question was easy I asked uh, the people in the room what would you charge if you knew people would pay it so if you could charge any amount of money knowing people would pay it what what would, you, would that charge be and the second question I asked people is what stops you from charging that and all of a sudden all these kind of fears these kind of limiting beliefs started to come to it And we started to talk about things like, what were your attitudes to money growing up? Was it money doesn't grow on trees? Or did you have a more growth mindset? Was money tight? Uh, Were people who earned a lot of money seemed as greedy or flash or arrogant? Or were they celebrated as being seen as successful or entrepreneurial? So you've probably got a lot of values about money that are lingering around that might be holding you back. And I would check if they were absolutely true. Another question I asked people, and this is the one that got the cringe moment. I said, do you deserve to challenge? that figure you said you would like to charge if you knew people would pay it audible <laughs> gas pe- people and people literally cringed in their seats like ah no i don't know do do you deserve it dear god how do you how do you know if you deserve something and i think that sense of deserving or it being justified is the one that really pokes our fears the one that really provokes our insecurities and our self image that stuff feels uncomfortable but I think that's the stuff that we've got to reflect on and face up to if you want to get used to charging people for your services so this it's not just what can I get away with charging but what do I really want to charge what in an ideal world do I think I'm worth and if you identify the things that uh, stop you from charging it I'd say those are the ones to focus on
1: Hard and I diff- guess that links back to what we talked about in the first episode around imposter syndrome absolutely of not feeling that you're good enough to charge the amount that you actually want to to charge definitely so actually if you haven't listened to that episode it's probably worth going back and listening to that one so that you can have a think about what might be holding you back from that sense yeah we talk a little bit there about how to overcome the fear so i think from that point of view
0: that tells you a little bit about what your value is there's a few things to bear in mind about value and i think we'll again we'll probably do a different podcast on that one but remember that in terms of uh value value is um I say it's that two party, it's you and it's your ideal customer. Value is also always a comparison. So if we start to think about the value from your customer's point of view, um, your customer is going to be thinking about uh, value or monetary value in relation to other things. It's time and money are they usually the things that we compare when we're thinking about the value we place on something. So it's what else could be they be doing with the money or what else could they be doing with the time or resources if they weren't spending it with you? Are there other things that are more important to them? So you really need to know this. It's also really useful to um, think about your customer and think about what value you add for your customers. So are you making them money? Are you saving them money? Are you saving them time? Are you saving them hassle? And a really great way to get to the bottom of this, of course, is to ask the question, if you didn't provide that service what would it cost them you know what would their areas of pain be what how much would it cost them and that's you don't have to put the the scare story on your customer but actually highlighting the points of pain but also the points of opportunity that if you didn't give that service
1: absolutely i think you can put a positive slant on it so for example just using you know my business as an example if a client has a website that's that isn't mobile friendly and it's hard to navigate and maybe it's kind of very text heavy, looks a bit dated. One of the things I will do is I will have a look at what they're, you know, what, what they are selling, whether that's services or or products or anything. Normally there's something that's being sold. It might not even be for monetary value. So I work a lot with charities. Um, so obviously donations is a big thing for them, but also what they want to do is, you know, provide services for the users. So it might just be the number of people who are referring themselves to that charity for help. But there is some kind of value that is placed on it that, you know, generally that if they're funded, again, it probably does come back to money ultimately, even though it's from a kind of good place. If the charity is funded, the more users they can help, the more easy it is to justify their existence to the funders. And so actually looking for how many, how many services or how many products would it take for it to pay for the website cost so for example one charity i worked with within the first week they would made enough money back in extra donations compared to what they were getting on the previous website to cover half of my costs so it's about looking to see okay if they sold one consultancy package that would cover the website cost so looking again the positive angles of the opportunity of changing it and how actually give them something real to compare it to
0: yeah. Oh, absolutely. Really important. Um, I do, you know, I assume that as you, I had a customer, a potential client ring up about procrastination. Uh, she wanted coaching because she was procrastinating. Um, she, uh, had procrastinated so badly that she was doing a course and hadn't done any of the coursework and her exams were coming up and she'd done none of the reading, none of the coursework. And this procrastination was going to cost her, her, um, qualification. And so we talk about what holding back and, um, you know, doing coaching, and of course, well, she kept putting it off. And then, and then afterwards, I was like, yeah, but what was the cost of her not doing the coaching? She would have lost all that money in the, the qualifications, all that money paying for exams, all that money for paying for textbooks. Compared to the cost of the coaching, if it got her over the line, she would have done it, of course. Did she become a client? No, <laughs> she procrastinated <laughs> over doing the coaching. So, um, but it was very easy in that case to highlight the the cost of doing it. So think about that from your customer's point of view. And um, you mentioned a comparison as well. Make it even fit to compare. I've got a, a little, um, a couple of tips for you on on putting your price points out there. If there is a danger in going too low um, and also too high so one of the things that we know is that um, you see anch- what we call anchoring in prices which is quite interesting so let's say you go into a shop and you see three televisions on offer um, you might have one priced at a thousand pounds you might have one pr- priced at 800 pounds and you might have one priced at uh, 300 pounds um, which one does the company want you to buy they want you to buy the middle-priced one, um, which might sound a bit odd. You might think that the company might want you to buy the higher-priced yeah, one. Yeah, I would have thought that, yeah. Yeah, the, the reason for why they do this on these special sale signs, they've got dozens of TVs in the shop, But the bottom price and the top price one are there to set an anchor point. So if we look at the £1000 TV, that's the top end. If we look at the £300 TV, that's the bottom end. That sets our frame of reference and we tend to plump for the one in the middle. So it's quite interesting. This happens in restaurants as well. If you see an expensive starter on the menu, um, chances are the restaurant aren't looking to sell that one you'll look at the second price item on the restaurant menu and what you'll find is uh, that's the one they want you to buy because no one goes into a restaurant and wants to buy the cheapest, no one wants to buy the most expensive, but the second one down for most expensive is one they probably have the most ingredients for and need to use up. So think about your reference points. If you do work cheaply in the first instance to get the work, it sets a frame of reference. And then if you try to put your prices up things feel expensive. So try to hold on to your value and charge something you are genuinely comfortable with charging. And if you can't do that in monetary terms, at least get something back, be it a testimonial, a case study, better working conditions, um, contacts, an opportunity to promote your business, but always get some value because it's very hard to shift those anchors once they've set. And studies show that once the anchors are set in, they're, they're almost there for life pretty much yeah
1: so it's hard so you'll find it hard to actually get out yeah, of that that absolutely. kind of ditch that you that you've accidentally found yourself yeah.
0: in and you mentioned the, the the comparison one as well it was really interesting you said make the comparisons easy and studies show that that's really important too um apparently they were doing a study where they were selling package holidays there was paris there was paris with breakfast included or there was florence with breakfast included all at a very
1: similar price which one do you think the people plumped for? I don't know if you know. I'm guessing it was Paris with breakfast included because they could then compare it to Paris without Paris. breakfast, Because Florence didn't have a comparison.
0: Exactly. So exactly as you
1: just described. Yeah.
0: How do you know if Florence is better than Paris if you've never been? You don't. So you can't compare the two. Your brain rejects that. It's like, well, that feels a bit tricky. But what your brain can do in an instance is go, well, Paris with breakfast is better than Paris without. I'll go for Paris for breakfast so making easy comparisons for people in terms of value also really helps you
1: and I guess ways to like add value again one of the things I've read a lot about is around how it's better to add value rather than to discount so so yes so actually if yeah you can if you can you know throw in a free ebook or something um, you know here's the basic package here's the extra package and here's what extra benefits you get um, then people can yeah. attempt to do that. So be careful how
0: you set your price. Bear in mind the anchor that you set in terms of expectations. They're very hard to shake, but also bear in mind what you compare yourself to. So with the, making the comparisons easy, don't try and compare yourself to things that aren't comparable. Um, make sure that you get you your... You're, know whether you're Waitrose, know whether you're Tesco, <laughs> know whether you're Aldi, and make sure that you're talked about the same breath. Yeah. So there's some of the mindset stuff, some of the psychology tricks. Don't worry, we are going to talk
1: about actually how we set the prices so maybe we'll have a look look at that then Katie yeah and I think just kind of continuing on but in a more practical sense one of the things that that came to my mind when you were talking earlier was actually how can you so so one of the options you've got is you your prices are too expensive for your competitors and they go elsewhere but is there a way that you can provide another package or another service that is more affordable for people that still keeps them with you and keeps your costs low as well so that's one thing that I found quite interesting so I've recently started doing website training and website kind of coaching as well as website design where I just do it all for them and it goes both ways for me so sometimes I want someone to come on a training course and actually what they realize is that for them their time is worth more than than spending money so they might start by looking at the training course but then after speaking to me they might go do you know what actually I would rather just pay you and you do it all for me and I don't have to do quite as much compared to if I was doing it myself but also I have the opposite one where people go okay well I'm just starting off I've got a bit of time I kind of want to learn a bit more as well I would rather you teach me how to do it and I do most of the work than pay you so I've got an option so that for whatever kind of value is most important to my customers, whether it's time or money or hassle or whatever, there's an option. So so how can you, with your products and services, also create something so your customers don't have to go elsewhere if your prices aren't or that your services aren't quite right can you actually still keep them in a way that works financially for you yeah
0: I say th- keep your value but if you're offering a lower price then offer a lower value so you're quite yeah, right exactly. so
1: reduce your offering
0: if reducing your offering works if you're reducing the offering to the point where you can't deliver the standard that you want to then that would be inappropriate but if you could offer less service for less money that fits a budget yeah then why not
1: definitely and I think one of the things that's really hard for freelancers and anyone, really, is actually, even if you've decided your price, it's actually how you ask for the money. I think you might have your prices either on your website or, you know, internally written down and you've got a potential client and you're confident that your price is there. It's still really terrifying sometimes to say, OK, and it's going to have to <laughs> Yeah, you're going to be colder and <laughs> your body language yeah. and your tone voice it's all going to stack up yeah and, and it's you know that you don't you don't you're, I mean I, I've definitely definitely had this of like being embarrassed of saying my prices which is one of the reasons I put them on my website um, because it just takes that fear away a little bit more for me um, but I think again going back to what we said before people feel cheeky about it and everything so I think one one tip that I've heard and that I've tried a couple of times is if you, if you are having to kind of have a call or a meeting with a client where you've got to ask for money and it does make you a bit uncomfortable, one of the things you can try beforehand is calling or, or speaking to some friends or, or some kind of your trusted peers or family or whatever and actually asking them for something, but something that you know that they will say yes to. So get yourself, again, going back to the mindset, this is the kind of practical versus mindset, um, get yourself into that place where you're used to hearing yes after asking a question so it might be like oh hey can I take you out for a coffee sometime or can I come around and like help you out with it like something where someone would definitely say yes and just get yourself used to it or even to clients you know ask ask a client for a small amount of money a different client and see get yourself used to hearing that and then you'll be it you'll get into that frame of mind where you're used to hearing yes, yeah. and that can help. But also ask for the actual amount as well. So saying your prices
0: out loud is a must. Um, at home, in the mirror, to your partner, but mm. to friends, even not to customers, just a friend. say, I'm, I'm, run- I'm starting up this new product, here's what I'm gonna charge and then just, just state your price, state it confidently, because um, I'm terrible for the inter- intonation coming up at the end. Because we both struggle with this as well, don't we? We've yeah. done it before, but whenever we invent a new product or a new service, we've got to work out pricing again. And so that first time round, it's almost like, I'm going to charge this much. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you've really got to make sure you, you're co- you've you're you got to say it confidently if yeah. you don't believe. And just let a silence be out there and let it hang. But as well as hearing yes, I think you should also practice hearing no. Because of course, when you set your prices, not everybody is going to say yes. Some people are going to say no, but recognise that's a good thing. I was um, speaking to a coach who's been working a lot longer than me, and I said I've been speaking to people. How do you, you know, actually move from a discussion to getting booking someone as a customer? And I, she was coaching me, and I said, look, um, this person said she, I was too expensive, and her response was, good. <laughs> oh, is that good? I thought I screwed up, and she said, no, you want people to say no because if every single person went yeah i'll bite your hand off i've clearly charged too little i've clearly left money on the table but also they possibly weren't my customer so if you think about training and coaching Um, It's not like where you hand money over to uh, someone, give them a brief and they go off and do the work. It's a bit more like going to a personal trainer at the gym. You might pay the personal trainer, but you've got to sweat. You've got to work. So I want someone who's going to come and put something in. So I have to charge a amount. Otherwise, I've not got commitment from people. So sometimes people say no is a good thing. It determines between people who really do value what you offer versus people who are maybe don't value it. And if they don't value it, there's no judgment on them. You just might not be the right person at the right price point for them. And that's exactly. absolutely fine.
1: And you can unpick the no without, you know, without, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> without going, why? Tell me why. Justify everything. What do you mean I'm not yeah. <laughs> But, you know, if you can find out, okay, is it is it a cash flow issue, for example? So, you know, a lot of, my clients are just starting up their businesses, and so one thing I am very mindful of is that for a, you know for a website, if they're paying some a thousand pounds or even more up front, that might be quite a challenge from cash flow wise so actually, if that's going to be a barrier, then could you know could you offer flexible payments or or something you know so that actually it it might not necessarily be the price that's the problem, it might be around how they're working, maybe they just need a bit of extra time. To get together that money to pay for something, so actually checking whether they do value the services. I've said, to, I know I've said to people before. I think your service is really good value for money. I just can't justify that budget at the moment. But it's not. It's not that I'm saying that they're too expensive. It's actually just that just it's not a know. priority for me. You know,
0: and that's that's the thing when we talk about the value the customer places on versus you. It's. If it's not, they don't value it highly right now. There's other things higher up in the priority order. Yeah. Then it's going to go on the back burner, and that's fine. Yeah, I've um, yeah, I think I think it's just absolutely key to recognize recognize that.
1: And I think one of the phrases I've heard um is um from a from a US entrepreneur called Stephanie Hilbert, and um she she more does kind of digital products rather than client work and like software stuff. But um, so she was talking about you know charging for kind of. Um, software products and she said the right amount is when people complain but they pay it anyway because it it's as in complain about the price not complain about the product um, and that's a similar thing to her you know if, if people say like you mentioned if people say yes too quickly you're probably not charging enough um, so people are like oh it's a bit expensive but on balance it's still worth it that's probably exactly the right kind of price yeah yeah um whether you agree with that i don't know but um but i just thought that was quite an interesting perspective i think
0: that's absolutely a great asset yeah (laughs) well Well, let's talk about how we practically calculate some of these things and then we can come back to how you maintain your value once you've worked it out um, so just to talk about how do we set a price? So we talked about working on a day rate, didn't we? Um, one, You need to work out first of all, whether you're gonna charge for day rates, whether you're gonna charge an hourly rate, whether you're gonna put the price on your time, or you may charge for the lifetime of a project. You may also wanna consider, um, yeah, the value you put on your expertise as well. So there's different ways, aren't there, of working out your charging.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, you know, there's the, the option of creating a set package, or there's the option of, like, say, working on a daily or an hourly rate. For me personally, I prefer the package option because it means that I can put my prices on the website. It means that it helps to filter the people who are contacting me already know if they can afford me or not. So it means that I'm not dealing with anybody who hasn't got the budget. They pretty much all know how much I charge it makes it easier for me not to have to save the money because, I mean, I will say it, but they've already seen it. So it feels like that's some shock to their system. Um, but to get to the point of knowing, of putting the package together, I think you have to do some, research and thinking to know what price to put on that package
0: yeah absolutely so one of the ways that you can do this practical ways i mean first thing i would suggest kate i don't know what you think but work out what you want to earn in a year realistically yeah so i would think about what do you need to earn so what is your mortgage or rent uh, what are your outgoings what are your monthly costs but then of course um, you've got your business cost as well as your living cost and then you
1: are going to want a certain amount of disposable income and also to invest in the business I would say so remember to well. put that money back yeah. in absolutely if you're going to need more equipment to yeah. take on bigger jobs or... and remember to factor in tax and national insurance too as well
0: absolutely and your own personal development so you may wish to take on a coach or a mentor whether that's like just personally not that's kind of my business but also um for technical stuff as well you may need to learn new skills so there may be courses and things that you want to learn and go on and, and of course networking stuff as well so your marketing budget will need to come in as well yeah so there's a whole list of things you need to factor for your costs and then you want to work out your disposable income you want to work out realistically what you need to earn but also i would suggest what you want to earn in a year and we've been talking recently about setting kind of like your minimum earning amount your kind of bronze silver gold yeah yeah (laughs) like i kind of
1: went all kickstart and i've got like stretch goals for like income generation and stuff of uh, doing that and you know that just tends to change throughout the year as my priorities change and yeah. I might take on a new project which means actually the you know income from one project goes down and then the income from another goes up or something like that but I think that that you know having an idea of what you're doing I mean that really helped me a lot. so for the first couple of years I was just kind of taking work on and and kind of you know just trying to get enough to pay the bills and if you'd asked me how much I earned in the year I would have had no clue whatsoever. And actually it wasn't very sustainable and then a couple of years ago working with michelle we sat down and actually worked out okay yeah what what do i want to earn there's a couple of schools i thought about whether having a goal is a, is kind of a distraction or not for me it really helped
0: i think i think you need something to aim for yeah Even if you don't um focus on it every week just knowing how much you want to earn it sets sets a bar and it gives you to work, work work towards so i would suggest do it. I also, my first business I ran just didn't have a business target. Like you said, it was a bit haphazard. You just take bits of work here and there, hope it adds up. Um, I think there's a bit of fear in there as well. I think you do stick your head in the sand a bit. Yeah. But definitely set a target. You're not a failure if you, if you don't make it, but I would definitely set one. That you,
1: yeah. And I ended up exceeding my med- medium target last year. So I was really happy with that. Because if I hadn't have had a target, I'd have gone nowhere near that figure. And I think. Mapping it out, how are you going to get there as well? Um, so, like, actually understanding what what capacity do you have to deliver? So, h- yeah. how could you break it down? So, would that be one big project a month? Would it be one six month project every you know every year, every half year? Would it be lots of little projects? Actually, mapping out how you could get there and how likely those things are and then looking at keeping track of that and looking at that you know regularly to understand. And one thing that I found was so helpful and actually helped me to raise my prices was just tracking my time. So you might not know, you might oh, well, I don't know how long it'll take me to make a website. Okay, there's ways you can find out, you know, track your time and work out how much time you're spending on admin, how much time you're spending on client work, how much time you're spending on marketing and social media, how much time you're spending going out and networking, even things like travel, know how many hours you have in a day and where that time goes over the course of a week and a month and then you might be surprised because actually the amount of time available for you delivering your work is not five days a week or seven days a week depending on how you're working yeah
0: your chargeable
1: time is yeah really less than your actual time and then there's holidays you've got to factor in it's I know nice. as a freelancer it's very tempting not to take them but you got Absolutely. to look after yourself and you know mm-hmm. recognize that clients will be on holidays as well so there'll be times where you'll be quieter So I think there's a lot of stuff that people forget to factor in when thinking about the pricing. Absolutely. So the way I would do it, I would work out, like all the things
0: we've discussed there, work out what your your living costs are, work out what your business costs are, remember the things like the development, the marketing, the tax, and then work out how much you want to earn and and set your goals, your bronze, silver, gold option. Once you've got your amount you want to earn for the year, then you can start to break it down. And the next thing you need to think about is how many days a year do you... Do you have to work or how many days do you want to work so as katie says you've got to factor in holidays i would probably factor in bank holidays because a lot of people don't work them even if you're prepared to but you can't do chargeable work on those days I also want a certain amount of holiday each year. My wife is employed and therefore when she has holiday, I want to spend it with her because I won't get the chance otherwise. And you also need to factor in the fact, fact, as Katie says, that you are going to need to do marketing and admin activities. So some people say that it works down a third between admin Marketing and actual doing. So when you work out how many working days there are a year, I think I worked out. Someone was saying to me, if you do 120 days actual chargeable work, that's pretty good going. Okay, yeah. So if you think and and um, if you're not, you don't believe me, but you've got a pen and paper handy, sit down and work it backwards. I promise you, 120 days chargeable work is is good going. Depending on what you do, you may do more, but um, once you break it down, you've now got to earn all of that money. those 120 working days or however many days you're going to work and that then gives you an idea of your daily rate that you need to charge from there you can work out your monthly rate or then you can start to work out if i do x number of projects a year then how much would each project need to be worth to get me to that point so there's a bit of maths involved and if numbers aren't your thing they're not my thing. It's a real drag, but it's definitely worth doing and gives you a little bit of something to go on. And we said at the beginning, you need to know your own value and this helps you go out to the marketplace, well, here's what I'm I'm charging.
1: Yeah. And I think that's it, you know. I think knowing what the minimum you have to charge is is important. You don't have to stick with that. You can increase it. You know? Yeah. You don't have to just cover your costs cuz you, you you've got a budget for things like what if you had a quiet month or something yeah. you've got your 120 available days to deliver but you might not be delivering on all of them so i would suggest building in a buffer for that as well yeah. if projects fall
0: through you get sick you probably don't get sick pay so yeah me to consider things. So yeah, that that kind of like you say, that time tracking of knowing where your chargeable time is. Yeah. And and when Katie started to set goals, we then started to talk about well, where is that money coming from? Is it from projects? Is it from training? Is it from websites? And you start to, to stack up which were prospects, which were which ones were in the diary, yeah, and which we were in the process of delivering to.
1: Yeah, and actually, it was quite heartening when I did sit down and work out where my money could come from throughout the year. I actually only have one retainer client, um, so you know, there's only one regular monthly income. But actually what I realized was that I had enough kind of client projects that were that were kind of underway or were fairly likely to happen to cover most of my income goals for the rest of the year. And so actually I've been thinking, oh I need to take I need to find loads of new clients and everything. And I was like, actually no, if I can just focus on the ones I've got and make sure that they happen, then I'm not gonna to need to do that much else. And that really like lifted a weight off my shoulders, having figured out that actually, I did have these potential projects yeah. to work with. And so. It helps
0: you get more focused on delivering the value for those clients and getting the value back, but also it helps focus your marketing activity, because you don't have to cast your net far and wide like a scattergun, exactly. you can focus it on the activities that are gonna get, yeah. get value for you, and then you can give that value back to the clients.
1: Too. And then just going back to when we talked about the day rate, actually, you know, as much as I say I've got a package, deal that's for the websites people pay a fixed fee but all of my training and support I charge by the hour so I charge an hourly rate and again I think you know some people are not going to be willing to talk about what they charge but I think I would really be interested in starting more of a conversation so you know if you want to join in online and kind of have a chat with us we'd be really interested to hear if you'd be up for kind of sharing stuff you don't have to share it publicly online but I just want to get a bit more of a conversation going about people sharing what They're actually charging because I think people will be reassured to hear it and also what people are earning as well because I think that's the other thing is that I think sometimes people are embarrassed when they first start freelancing that if they've gone from a corporate job that you're probably not going to earn as much in your first year or two as you were in your corporate job and I think people are embarrassed because of that people get a bit cagey I'm I'm an online
0: um networking group with other trainers and um because it is a closed group we're all paid up members we're all professionals people will share the ballpark figures for what they charge interestingly it's vastly different what people charge for similar services um you're not always comparing like for like but it is quite useful to know where the ballpark is and yeah. what, and how how high or low your average, especially
1: well. if you can anchor yourself in the middle as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's the other thing, isn't it?
0: and know where you stack up or, or do really well. So I think knowing your, I think you've got to know your value. And um, you, Katie, you do physical product, well not physical products, you do information products. Mm. Some people might say, well, I don't want to charge a day rate or I don't want to charge an hourly rate. Um, how if you were doing a one day workshop, how would you charge it? Would you take in those earning figures to account?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so, I mean, the workshops, I'll be honest, I've found it quite challenging really hard, to, to get people on for the price that I want. Um, I, you know, I'm still at the stage of kind of building up my reputation around there, I think. Um, and plus, I'm quite rubbish at marketing. Um, I will hold my hands up and say that. Uh, like most of my work through clients is through clients and referrals. So... Plans marketing. Yeah, I know months. it is in its own way, exactly. Um, but for the workshops... I kind of took both a top down and a bottom-up approach so I looked at what my venue costs were um, I always get a really nice like Marks and Spencer's lunch for everyone so I worked out the, the kind of cost of the of the food for the day um, worked out even just things like my transport costs so like I hold the workshops in Manchester so there was a transport cost associated with me traveling into Manchester um, you know the the I tend to do it on a weekend, so it doesn't actually tend to interfere with my working week. But if I was doing it on a kind of weekday, that would then effectively take away from another day that I would be potentially doing work for clients. So again, it's that opportunity cost that we talked about before. Not just the workshop. Not value. just the actual kind of physical costs. So I'd have a look at the uh, the kind of the the time, the venue cost, and then I would look at my time of how much of my time I would so. And for that, I would probably just use my my day rate. So I would want to get, as a minimum for the workshop, I would want to get um, the venue cost covered, the meal cost covered, and then my day rate covered. Your time, yeah. yeah. And then from that, I can also look at how ma- what's the maximum number of people that I would be willing to have in a workshop. So for me, I wouldn't really want to have more than six people because I can't really then spend enough time helping them. Yeah. We, you know, We do general stuff, but I want to be able to sit with people and help them with their individual questions For more than six people, it's a challenge. So then I have to work out, okay, what's the price in there? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And then it's the, the kind of bigger picture one of how does this fit into my income goals for the year? Because if it is taking away from a client work day, then it obviously needs to cover it, which is why I include my day rate, but also making sure that that's not distracting me from spending my time doing something else. So I love doing workshops, so actually, the reality is I'd probably be willing to do it for a little bit less because I enjoy doing it and I get a lot out of it but one of the things Michelle has very much helped me to recognize is that it's really easy to start doing stuff where you think okay yeah I'll do this and I'll get this much money but actually just to get distracted by it and to end up putting too much energy into that and then miss out on other opportunities. Yeah, so for definitely. me, it's it's about being focused on why I'm doing it yeah. and mm-hmm. what I want to get out of it.
0: And sometimes, uh, like you say, you spend time on freelance folk, but then you like, raise your profile yeah. and actually get you money. So yeah. there may be other benefits besides it's my, money as well. Yeah,
1: so my time is my marketing budget yeah. for freelance folk rather yeah. than actually spending money.
0: So I think, um, you said, we said knowing your own value. We've covered off that quite a bit. As I say, know the value you add for customers. What, what would they... Um, what would it cost them to not do business with you? And make sure that we stack these two up. So we talk about knowing your value. Of course, there is a question of what people are willing to pay, but you're looking for people who place the same value on your products and services as you do, and it's where where we meet in the middle is the point of interest. So um, this is what we need to do. We make sure we find our starving crowd, if you like. where does that phrase come from actually? I used mm. to know where that came from. Mm. But basically, if you're if you're opening up a restaurant, you want to you you're looking for your starving crowd. It's the whole adage that if you were in the, you know, if you were selling a bottle of water in the sound centre, you could charge 50p. If you were selling it to someone who would walked across a desert for three days and had a drunk thing, you could charge 100 pounds yeah. <laughs> It's it's knowing where those people are that place the value and have the need that means they're going to value the service as much as you do. And it's those people we're going to focus our attention on. So it's just really briefly before we finish up just a few pointers Katie on maintaining your value. So you've set your price, um, you've worked out your cost, you've worked out what you want to earn, you've worked out what you deserve to earn or what you would like to earn. And um, you've broken it all down, You've, you've done your plan, you've worked out your day rate or your month rate or your project rate. And now we've practiced saying it in the mirror and we're charging this to people. And maybe we come across someone who knocks us down any tips for keeping your value but keeping people happy.
1: I think yeah, it's it's so tempting, especially if it's a really nice person and a really fun project. It's so tempting to go, oh okay, yeah, you can have it for half price because you're nice. But you just have to remember that you need a sustainable business. And I think for me, I I used to be terrible at doing that. You know, I I would really easily kind of go, okay, yeah, you can just have it for free or for cheap or whatever. But then I'm like, well, yeah, I'm supporting their business, but at what cost? I'm effectively taking you know, not supporting my own business. And for me, what keeps me strong, as it were, and keeps me from from discounting my prices and accepting lower offers is thinking, well, actually, what's my motivation? I want to help people. I want to, you know, I want to rid the world of terrible websites and I want to help people take advantage of tools like Squarespace. I can't do that if my business has had to close because I'm not charging enough. So for me, it's about... I need to charge this much in order to keep helping people and doing what I ultimately want to do. So I think thinking about your motivation can help you to then stay strong. And I think just being honest, I think no one minds if you say like, okay, well I'm sorry I did, you know that is how much it costs. Here's somebody else I can recommend that's cheap. You know, that's where we talked about getting clients and networking in the previous episode. That's a really useful relationship to have. So I you know, I'm cheaper than some other people they refer to me. And if it's a bigger project, I refer to them and that's fine.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think the big one for me is just um, always get an exchange of value. So whatever your price is, if someone wants to knock you down on price, get value back, whether it be from a referral, a testimonial, exposure, marketing for your business, get get something back in return and make sure that, that way you can keep your value. And again, the anchor point for your price stays intact. So I think the final thing that kicked me into gear were making sure I, I determine my value and I stick to it when I'm setting my prices is I think someone asked me once well if people aren't coming to work with you if you don't tell people the value you offer Michelle or, or um, what they're getting for their money or why they should work with you and it's better to work with you what would they do and I was like, well they'd go work with someone else and there's a lot of people out there that charge a lot of money and do a rubbish job and the idea that people might get fleeced by someone else or uh, undersold by someone else really made me sit up and think hard. Oh. So that's yeah. kind of my motivation. It's like I don't <laughs> to work with the people out there that are mediocre charging top money. Yeah. I want to get value for money. So I've got a responsibility to set my prices right and to say them confidently. Yeah,
1: and I think also, yeah, just making sure that you understand or your client understands what how how they can compare to your prices. So say, say, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, WordPress, it's a great website tool because it's free. And if, yes, it's free to, to install, but you are probably going to, if you're not technical, you're going to need to pay a developer to help maintain it for you. So there's a hidden cost there. So if someone's charging less than you, just make sure that they can compare like with like and make sure that they're not kind of, again, being fleeced by somebody who's unscrupulous, I'd say. Absolutely.
0: Well, look, that's, I think that's quite enough for now. There's so much to pricing. You could you could debate how to do it. What's the best way to do it all day? In fact, online, many people do. <laughs> so if you want more, um, either get, get in touch with us or there's plenty of online forums as well where you may be able to get people to share this stuff. And remember, you can say hello to me, Katie, on Twitter and Instagram at The Wheel Exists. And you can say this to me on Twitter if you can find my handle. It's at dive deep, deep D-E-P, D-E-P, D-E-P. I never thought I'd have to spell that out. <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, I follow Katie, so you'd be able to find me. And uh, use the hashtag uh, freelance SOS if you'd like to join in that conversation with us, or tweet us directly.
1: Yeah, and if there's any problems you'd like us to discuss, again, let us know using that hashtag freelance SOS. And to make sure that you catch our upcoming episodes, subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts.
0: That's all for now. Um, We're looking forward to hearing from you guys. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast and we'll see you on next time on 99 Problems But A Boss Ain't One.